Hear these words from Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. So like most things in my life right now, this Ash Wednesday feels a little different. The notion of ashes to ashes and dust to dust feels pretty close to home in the wake of my mom's recent death. And yet the the raw authenticity of Ash Wednesday that has always drawn me toward itself is made that much more real for me this year. I realize it's probably a strange thing to hear, especially if you're new to our church, that I love Ash Wednesday. What a bizarre thing to say, right? No one likes Ash Wednesday. It's dark, it's quiet. We focus on things that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to think about the ways in which we have messed up in this life. No one wants to remember that we came from dust and to dust we will return. Even the thought of burning last year's celebratory palm branches to create the dust that we smear on our heads tonight, none of that sounds particularly inviting or pleasant. So why do I find Ash Wednesday so meaningful year after year after year? I think there are two reasons, really. One is because it gives us permission. And two, because it reminds us who God is and what God is all about. This culture that surrounds us is one of perfection. This kind of perfection that it's really difficult not to get caught up in. We feel pressures to be perfect in our job to look perfect, to act perfect, to be perfect parents, to be perfect Christians. Each of the roles that we inhabit in this life bring with it its own set of expectations and way of living. And whether they're expectations that other people heap upon us or those that we set for ourselves, they're not only difficult, sometimes they are downright impossible. We live in a world that demands a lot from us. And on those days when the outside criticism isn't enough to get us, we are usually far worse to ourselves than any outsider could ever be. And yet for this, this one night, this one night when we're gathered here and the, the lights are a little dimmer, except the one that's on me, uh, we, have, we have permission to let all of that go. We gather in this place with ashes upon our forehead, not one person more or less flawed or guilty than another, each standing in the reality of our own shortcomings, each standing in the exact same place, flawed and messy and in need of a savior. The psalm that we read just a moment ago was written by a man named David. I think he is familiar to most of you in the room. We talk about him a lot in church. He was one of the greatest kings in all of Israel, Somebody that God called a man after his own heart. He was a musician 
and he was a shepherd boy who would grow up to defeat both great giants and great cities. And yet there was one thing that David could not ever quite defeat himself, and that was his own sin. To say that he committed adultery is putting it lightly, as it's certainly worse that the woman who he was with was not consenting. He got her pregnant, and then he tried to cover up that pregnancy and what he had done by getting the woman's husband killed. This, woman, this man who was fighting in David's own army, that's just one of his stories. And so as we read Psalm 40, we can only imagine which of David's mistakes he was speaking of when he penned the words, he lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. So maybe we haven't made the same mistakes that David has made, or maybe we have. Either way, there isn't one among us who hasn't found our own feet caught in the mud and the mire of poor decisions, of selfish choices. There's not one among us who hasn't felt as if we are stuck in a pit that we cannot seem to find our way out of. And yet even amidst a Christian, Christian culture, we have developed this tendency to stay isolated and silent while we battle the consequences of our own sin Maybe we are too afraid of other people judging us or condemning us. Maybe we think our shortcomings will cause other people to question our faith or subsequently faith in general. But there are consequences to sinful actions themselves. There is great cost in keeping them hidden and remaining silent. Destruction begets destruction. And before we know it, we can find ourselves in that slimy pit that David wrote about. But then we have this night. This night where we recognize that all the while we thought we were the only one falling short in the way that we are. Tonight we realize that we are all in good company. That just when we thought we might be the only ones who fell down that pit of addiction or lying or cheating or infidelity, just when we thought that there was nobody else hiding things from their loved ones, nobody else whose marriage is struggling, whose finances are a mess, whose alcoholism or workaholism are, are more out of control than we would like to admit. Just when we thought that there was no one else in the world as afraid as we are of being found out, for whatever lie we have told ourselves or other people, we gather together as a community and we bring light to that which has been hidden in the darkness, knowing that God is so much bigger than any mistake we have ever made, are currently making or ever will make. That God is bigger than any sin that this world can trap us in. That God's grace covers every single piece of hurt or destruction that we have caused. All we have to do is ask. There's a pastor, an author, a speaker by the name of Nadia Boltz-Weber, and she says this. And so thank God, once a year, we gather to speak the truth of how we piece out our hearts, how we sin and fall short, how we rely on every single other thing to love us, everything but God how we love each other and are loved by each other so poorly with the small leftover bits of our hearts after we have given most of them away. 
and think of all the ways in which we give our hearts away. We give our hearts away to furthering our careers and to following the stock market or political parties or trends. We give our hearts away to making ourselves look good on social media or diving into the next new thing that's gonna make us healthy or wealthy. We give our hearts away to making other people happy or convincing other people that we are something that we are not. And so perhaps tonight, perhaps tonight we could consider the possibility that it's not just our time that gets wasted when we are caught up in those things, but that we are giving pieces of our very heart and soul away to those things. And so what do we do? Well, tonight we talk about repentance. As you come up to receive ashes in a few minutes, you'll hear me say the words repent and believe the good news. But I think that a lot of us believe that repentance means that we have to come to a place where we feel so bad about everything that we have done that we, we promise God we will never, ever do it again as if it's some kind of bartering system. I won't do this as long as you do that. But I think it's so much more than that. And I know, I know just like I used the word evangelism this past Sunday, we don't really like the word repentance either. Repentance reminds us of angry, yelly preachers telling us we're going to hell Repentance reminds us of some kind of super legalistic God or some kind of super legalistic church. I will be the first to admit that the word repentance makes me cringe a little. But repentance is both a call and an invitation to us, tonight and always. It's not about going back to something that was. It's about refocusing our attention on God instead of on all the other things that steal our hearts and and our minds and our time. Weber said, rather than calling us to go back to a simpler time, repentance beckons us further and deeper. It is progressive rather than regressive. She says, if we are lost, repentance isn't about pulling out a compass and searching for the original trailhead. Instead, Repentance is waiting to be found and then discovering that we have been found all along. For God is already with us in the middle of the path that we are on, no matter how thorny, steep, or mired it is. Repentance helps us see where God already is. It helps us get past the lie that we sometimes believe that God could quit loving us. Repentance restores the relationship, not by bridging the gap over sin, but by removing our blinders so that we may see God within us, in us, before us, calling us further into the desert, into the wilderness, into the work of bringing God's reign to earth as it is in heaven. Lent is a season of truth-telling. It's a chance to be honest about who we are. And it's a chance to be honest about who God is. We put ashes on our head because we recognize that we are stuck in the mud and the mire of this world. And and we recognize that every decision we make that causes harm to this world or harm to another person or harm to ourselves is a decision that grieves the heart of God. We put ashes on our head because we recognize that we need to repent and that we need a grace-filled Savior in order to do that. 
We put ashes on our head because we recognize that while God accepts us just as we are, that God created us to be so much more than we have settled for. When King David was ready to recognize the mistakes that he had made, when he was ready to recognize that he needed to turn back to God, that is when he wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. He put a new song in my mouth. Isn't that what we all hope for tonight? No matter what we're going through, a new song, a chance to try again, a new day, a chance to move on from what was and to become something new, a chance to become someone who better reflects the image of God that is within each and every one of us. We don't receive ashes solely to mark ourselves as sinful people, but also as a reminder that we have made the decision to turn back to God. This is not just some moment of depravity. It is a reminder that a new journey has begun. It's not just about all that we are not. It's about all that God is. Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? See, I am doing a new thing. That is God's invitation to us tonight. To come forward in truth with a desire to turn our focus and our attention and our lives toward a merciful God to repent of all of the pieces of our hearts that we have given away to other things, to turn back to Jesus and to allow God to do a new thing in us. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be gathered as a community tonight. I feel like we spend so much of our time trying to outrun our sense of mortality. And so we don't like to talk or think about this notion of coming from ashes and returning to ashes. We don't really like to spend our time thinking about the, the pits that we sometimes get stuck in or the pieces of our hearts that we have given away. And so we spend a lot of time outrunning that stuff or ignoring it pretending it's not there, covering it up, lying about it, all kinds of things just so that we don't have to face it. And then we have this night where it feels like our face is, is pushed in it. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that not as some kind of guilt trip, but as, as an opportunity. You meant for us to live free. And the only way that we get to do that is by being honest with you and honest with ourselves the only way that we get to do that is by recognizing that we are in need of a savior and by knowing that we stand on the promises that you are merciful. And so Lord, as we 
come forward this night to receive ashes on our head. Help us hold nothing back. You are the God who knows the very hairs on our head. We don't need to hide anything from you. We can't outrun you, and so help us to stop trying. Help us to know, Lord, that there is not one person in here who is too far from your love, who has made too many mistakes that we're that we don't fall under the grip of your mercy and your grace. Lord, for those who are watching online or listening later, I pray that they would feel that same thing, Lord, even if they tuned in by accident tonight. Nobody's outside your grace. And so may we come forward tonight as honest as we can be, Acknowledging, Lord, that you are merciful and that in this moment you desire to do a new thing. We thank you for that grace. We thank you for that mercy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.